Good morning. How are we doing? Can we clap one more time for our kids, please? That was so exciting to have them up here this morning, kind of helping me out and singing and just so, so grateful for all of them. Um, as Corby said, my name is Annie. I'm the kids ministry director here at Mannheim BIC. So I'm pretty privileged because I get to hang out with them all the time and they're really cool. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here this morning. It's an honor to open God's word uh, with you here on Jonah. And when leadership asked me, hey, Annie, do you want to open the series of Jonah? I said, Oh my word, open a series? That feels kind of like a big deal. But I'm so glad uh, that, that I'm here and that we're talking about Jonah today. And I, I've always really loved the story of Jonah. And it's not because I particularly like him. Actually, I, I think quite the contrary. He's very infuriating. <laughs> but I, I do see so much of myself in, uh, in Jonah's story. And you know, so much of my character, my flaws mixed up with, in contrast with the character of God in the story of Jonah. So if you're like, we're not like Jonah, and you feel a little bit, maybe a little bit offended or annoyed that I might say there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us, bear with me. Oh, and I invite you into the next four weeks as we talk about Jonah, maybe to open your heart and mind to see where God might be revealing some of those Jonah tendencies in your own life. So. We're gonna start here at the beginning of Jonah. I've been tasked with chapter one. And a lot of times when, when people think about Jonah, I think they think about maybe the big fish, maybe they think about the big bad city of Nineveh, or the prophet who runs in the opposite direction. All of those things are true, but there's a lot more to the story of Jonah than meets the eye. So we're gonna start chapter one, verse one. Here we go. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Right there, right off the bat, in the first two verses of the book of Jonah, we are left with a lot of questions. Who is Jonah? And why does God ask Jonah to go to Nineveh. Well, we know Jonah has a whole book of the Bible named after him, but besides that, right now, we, we're, we haven't been told too much, except for that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Jonah was a prophet, God's messenger. Their job to take the word from God and deliver it to God's people, the Israelites. Uh, but who are the Ninevites and why would God ask Jonah to go to the Ninevites? Well, up to this point, we don't really have any reason to believe that Jonah hasn't done exactly what God has asked him to do in the past. Uh, we have no reason to believe that he hasn't been obedient. But as you'll see, as we get into this story a little bit more, Jonah is pretty hesitant to go to the Ninevites. Why? Well, Nineveh was Israel's enemy. So every other time, God, you've asked me to take your word to the Israelites, to people that already know you, to people that already call you God. And this time, you're asking me to take your word to people that don't know you. This would look like political betrayal, maybe national betrayal. What would the, what would the Israelites think if they saw their prophet Jonah taking God's word to people that didn't know him? 
So let's talk about Nineveh for a minute. Nineveh was a great city. And that word great in the original translation is used when uh, they talk about the fish. It's used when they talk about the great storm that God sends. They talk about, they use that word when they talk about Nineveh. So it's used, there's a lot of great things of great magnitude in the book of Jonah. Nineveh was a great city, so big that they say it took three days journey to get around it. It was the oldest, most populous city of the ancient Assyrian Empire, situated on the east bank of the Tigris River, encircled by what is the modern-day city of Mosul, Iraq. It was the biggest, baddest, bloodiest city of the ancient world. Uh, most powerful empire. Fawcett's Bible Dictionary says the population in all numbered about 600,000 people, maybe even up to 1 million. So this was a huge city, a million people. Uh, they were known throughout the known world for being entirely brutal, thoroughly violent, a city full of bloodshed. It was said that they would tear through towns and cities and kill everybody in their path and burn cities and leave behind bodies so that other empires would know that Nineveh had been through there. And so much of what they did, which I read, but will not share here, um, was, was thoroughly violent, evil, and grotesque. The ancient historians Herodotus and Aristotle also write about the wickedness and the brutality of the city of Nineveh. And this was the people that God asked Jonah to go to. It was this very wickedness that God wanted to call out. It was this very wickedness that had come up before the Lord. These were not the people that Jonah was used to taking God's word to. Remember, he probably had a good rap sheet, right? He had always done what God had asked him to do. But this time, it's different. Why God? Why these people? And it doesn't take very long for us to see. It really only takes verse three for us to see uh, his hesitancy. Verse three, but Jonah, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish and he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah ignores God's call to go and call out the evil that has grown in Nineveh and intentionally moves himself in the opposite direction, finding a ship that's going the other way. So he boards the ship in Joppa, which is modern-day Tel Aviv, if you're interested in the geography like I am. And that ship is headed to Tarshish, which is, they believe, the southeastern coast of Spain, not that close. And he pays the fare, which is no doubt expensive for how far the journey will be. And then I think, whoa, Jonah, what are you thinking? But how many times, church, do we do the same thing? God calls us to do something, and we, because of our pride or our fear or whatever other reason we can cook up, it's too hard, we decide to do the opposite thing. But here's the thing. Most times, it's harder to disobey God than it is to obey God. Many times, it's harder to disobey God than it is to obey God. 
And here's what I mean by that. Nineveh was 725 miles away from Jonah when he received the word over land. Tarshish was approximately 3,000 miles away over sea. So 725 miles to go do what God has asked him to do versus 3,000 miles to go to the edge of the known world at the time. I, they say like where he was headed was like, that's it, the Straits of Gibraltar. After that, it's just open sea. There's nothing else out there. So Jonah's like, this is a good idea. No, right? It's harder to disobey God than it is to obey God. Maybe Jonah thinks that if he quietly slips away, maybe God will forget that he wanted him to go to Nineveh and he won't notice that he's ignoring him. But we know that we might be able to run from God, right? But we can't hide. Psalm 139, seven. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. So we can't run. We can run, but we can't hide. At this point, Jonah thinks he's done pretty well, right? He determines he knows better than God. He's just gonna make this decision for him and uh, maybe he'll forget his mind because the Ninevites are horrible people. But you see, Jonah is only seeing the outward appearance, right? He's only seeing this horrible city and their evil deeds. He doesn't see a city full of people that are in need of God's redemption. He doesn't see a city full of lost souls. All he sees is evil people that couldn't possibly be worthy of God's grace. But the book of Samuel says, reminds us, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. In his reluctant, disobedient spirit, he tries to supersede the God of the universe's plans. He says, nope, I'm out. Find someone else, right? So now he's on this boat headed in the exact opposite direction from what God has asked him to do. We'll pick up in verse four. It says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps that God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. To interject here, these were mariners. These were sailors. They were people that were used to taking storms in stride. And it says even they were afraid. This mighty tempest that God had hurled upon this ship was clearly supernatural. This was clearly the result of a God that was angry with someone or something. So much so that they were willing to call out to even Jonah's God. We'll call out to ours, you call out to yours. Let's figure out how to get out of this predicament that we're in. God showing his character, reaching out to people by whatever means necessary. 
Verse seven continues, it says, they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come up upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do with you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. It's extraordinary, isn't it? That Jonah, in the middle of fleeing from the pagans of Nineveh, that he's been called to, encounters pagans on this boat. He can't get away. And what's even more amazing to me in this story is that these pagans show him even more grace and mercy than he ever considers back to them or ever considers for the entirety of the city of Nineveh. Almost a million people. These sailors, complete strangers, show Jonah grace and mercy, offering to call on his God and then having faith that his God might actually respond. Finding every possible way to avoid doing what he's asked them to do, which is throw him overboard. But Jonah still misses it, right? He still misses it. Pastor Tim Keller says in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, he says, Jonah is in desperate need of the very mercy of God that he finds so troubling. Verse 14, therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And that's how the chapter ends, by pointing us back to God's character. The Lord, once again, acting within his character, chases and pursues and has a plan for even this reluctant prophet. For, you see, God's grace isn't just for the thousands and thousands of people that are in Jonah. His grace is also for the one that's already in the fold, the one Jonah that already knows him to be freed from his self-righteousness and prejudice, his mercy rescuing Jonah in the form of a fish. Even in Jonah's complete disobedience and denial and pride, the very same tangible grace that God wants to share to Nineveh, he shares with Jonah again. And Jonah, up to this point, has still missed it, right? So I have a story for you I live in a house in Lancaster in a split-level home, so there's a couple different levels to it. And um, on my front porch, I have 
like kind of tall planters. They come up to about here on either side of the door. And I live there with my sister and a roommate. And uh, we've, there's a bird that's been building a nest. It's spring, building a nest right here beside my front door in this planter. And we're like, well, my roommates and I, well, should we, like, should we move the planter? Because it's really close to the house, like six inches from the door. Should we, um, should we discourage it? Like, I don't know, send it away. What have you, it's still there, right? So the bird built its nest and it made its home. So the other day, I'm bringing in a, a bookshelf from the car, and my sister's there holding the door open for me to bring the bookshelf into the house. You guys totally know where this is going, right? So the bird, instead of doing what it normally does, which is like flee away from the house and these scary people, um, flies directly into my house. So I'm like holding this big thing, oh my word, what do we do now? So we set the bookshelf down, and we start kind of chasing this bird around the house. It goes downstairs, comes back to the main floor. Now it's upstairs. This is insane. <laughs> so I grabbed this blanket and my sister and I were like trying to kind of corral this thing. We open up all the doors to the house. We're just trying to get it like out of our house. It's so scared. And eventually we, we do it. It takes like 10 or 15 minutes. And we eventually get this bird to go out the back door, kind of back to freedom. And as crazy as it sounds, I actually thought of Jonah in this whole situation that we just had. And here's why, because Jonah flew in the opposite direction, fleeing from the presence of the Lord, right? Was where he wasn't supposed to be. Just like that bird, which usually flies away from my house, flew the wrong direction and all of a sudden, it's now trapped inside of my house. And my sister and I, you know, had to direct and like corral and kind of like re-put this bird on course Go back to where you belong. Do what you're supposed to do, which is go outside. And I thought, you know, how much Jonah was like that. He flew in the opposite direction, headed to Tarshish, 3,000 miles away from where he's supposed to be going. And God slowly, you know, redirects him. I'm not saying that bird wouldn't have ever gotten out on its own. I think it would have, but it would have taken a lot longer. So God redirecting us takes us when we make mistakes, when we go in the opposite direction, when we get stuck entrapped in whether it's my house or, you know, in the middle of a storm on a boat in the middle of the sea headed to nowhere. God redirects Jonah's path back to where he's supposed to be through that fish. You'll have to come back next week to find out what happens next or read it this week. But that's how chapter one ends. Me thinking, come on, Jonah, really? You still don't get it? You question God's mercy for others. You miss seeing it in your own life. How often do we do that? We question God's mercy for other people. We miss seeing it in our own lives. But I don't get to choose who God has mercy on. Jonah didn't even get to choose that God had mercy on him by providing a fish. God, who we serve, is always relentless in the pursuit of the people that he loves. So what are the takeaways? What, what, what can I get out of this first chapter of Jonah? I have a couple ideas. My first idea, God's love is for all people. God's love chases those that are in the fold and it chases those that are on the fringe. He's not content to leave us on our own. He leaves the 99 and he chases after the one because he's relentless in the pursuit of the people that he loves. God doesn't see how we see. Isaiah 55 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. 
So rather than me waste a moment trying to assume God's role and choose which people are and are not worthy of God's love, let me remember that God's ways are different than mine. God's love for us is relentless, incomprehensible, almost otherworldly. It's not going to make sense. God's love for the Ninevites didn't make sense to Jonah. But that's okay because God didn't ask for it to make sense to Jonah. He asked for obedience. God's mercy doesn't see the same boundaries that humans see. God looks at the heart. Psalm 145 said, God is gracious and compassionate God. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. God's mercy and compassion is for all people. For the Ninevites, for Jonah, for me. And if I truly believe, if I truly believe that God's love is for all people, then my love has to, it has to be for all people. It's not an option, it's a requirement. If I'm growing in sanctification to look more and more like Jesus, then I have to love people like Jesus loves people, sacrificially and unconditionally. But Jonah's sin got in the way. Jonah's sin got in the way of his recognition of sovereign grace that God bestows upon us. And it's because of the curse of sin that Jonah's blinded to his own sin, his own selfishness, his self-righteousness. But God, how could you save those people? When in reality, Jonah's sin made him just as ugly and horrible as the Ninevites whom God called him to. But you see, God had a plan. And his plan was Jesus His plan was Jesus, the way of salvation, that every heart would be restored to him because it's God's plan that none should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. I need God's grace and mercy to see through my sin and to see people how God sees people. If we're not consistently confronted with the character of the God that we serve, if I'm not constantly keeping his love and sacrifice in front of me, his goodness in front of me, I will constantly forget who he is. I will struggle with seeing people the way God sees people. Idea number two, where is my Nineveh? What area in my life am I running away from God? We can't outrun God. We can't hide from God. We can't outsmart God. What is that one thing that just feels a little too hard for me to do? The place that I don't want to go, that selfish and hard-hearted spirit that I can't give up in order to see how God sees. How can I realize that God meets us even there, just like he met Jonah? If our God is a God that can be with and for rebellious Jonah, he is a God that can reach even me in the hardest corners of my heart. So what is that one thing that God is asking you to do? That you're too afraid and uncomfortable to do, but he still wants you to do it. Identify what that is and go there. Our attempt to stay in our comfort zone, remember, can sometimes be a lot more work than following God. Our attempt to stay in our comfort zone can be more work than if I yield to God's spirit. So God's love is for all people, Where is my Nineveh? What am I running 
away from? Where am I running away from God? And then last, idea number three, God is looking for faith and obedience fueled by love. Obedience is important. Can we ask ourselves this morning, how can I, in humility, be obedient to what God has asked me to do, even when it feels as impossible as Nineveh? Remember, Jonah's reluctant but eventual obedience results in a lot of people coming to know God, a lot of people coming to know God and finding redemption and salvation. So go, you must go. If you feel like you're Jonah and you've made a decision not to go to that Nineveh or to that place that's outside your comfort zone, it's not over for you. Today can be the day that you choose to turn around and practice that obedience that God asks of us. What does that obedience look like? It could look like choosing to trust and believe that God's goodness is for all people, not just me. His goodness cannot be put into the constraints of my goodness, of my lens of what goodness is, because if it could, we're all in trouble. If God's goodness can be confined into my box of who he should save and who he's merciful to, then we're in trouble. God's goodness can't be put into the lens of just what I think is good, right? So perhaps growing in obedience looks like growing in love. Perhaps it looks like growing in love for my neighbor, my enemy, the person that looks different than me, acts different than me, thinks different than me, is on the opposite end of the political spectrum. Maybe it's that person that is my coworker who I just can't stand. I don't know who it is for you. But perhaps, just perhaps that's where God wants us to start this morning to figure out a way to grow in love towards people that can be scary hard to love. This week, how can my obedience to Christ be fueled by love, both for him and for others? How can I recognize and admit any similarities between what's going on in my heart and what was going on with Jonah? How can I operate out of a profound knowledge of God's character, God's goodness, God's compassion? and not my selfish human nature? How can I be confronted with God's character that I operate out of his love, not my selfish human love? God's call can be big and daunting and it may be hard, but if I continue to get to know the character of the God that I serve, God will give us a lot more opportunities to practice obedience that's fueled by love. God's love is for all people. Where is your Nineveh? Identify it and go there. God is looking for faith and obedience that's fueled by love.